0: welcome to another episode of The Other Side of Sales. I'm Ashley Early.
1: And I'm Ryan Woodard.
0: And today I am super excited because we are joined by Joe Paranto. And Joe is a leading expert on sales performance. He's led close to 30,000 sales calls with the world's most valuable companies. And within five years, he sold over 1 billion in revenue, which motivated him to share a wealth of sales insights. He has a new book out, which he will tell us about. But I'm also really excited to have Joe on because Joe brings a couple unique perspectives that we haven't had on other side of sales yet that I'm really excited to share with you. Because Joe is a member of the Little Shell tribe. He is, um, of, he is an indigenous American as well as a, a veteran. So he served in our armed forces. So Joe, thank you for your service and thank you so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, it's so great to be here. Uh, you know, really uh, happy to, to talk and chat with your audience today, especially after the, uh, the great long weekend that we've all had.
0: Yeah, we're recording this on uh, July 6th, so just after the, the Independence Weekend for our listeners in America. But um, just kind of starting off, Joe, why don't you start with telling us kind of a little bit about your sales journey so far and about your book, Billion Dollar Sales?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, the, um, I've been selling pretty much since I could you know, form a sentence when I was young. Uh, I grew up uh, not having a lot, so one of the first memories that I had was was selling rocks door to door. My um, my parents got divorced when I was young and we didn't, uh, we were always getting our power shut off and things like that. So I remember my brother and sister and I, we painted rocks to sell as paperweights. I was the salesperson. My sister collected the money, made sure we didn't get rolled. And my brother was the artist. Um, but ever since that time, I've found myself uh, in sales positions uh, throughout uh, high school and college. And then after college, I decided to make it a career and that was almost 30 years ago. I've been selling professionally ever since. The book that I wrote, Billion Dollar Sales Secrets, was really the book that I wish I had read a long time ago. Uh, So I packed everything that I could to help people who are professional sellers, accidental sellers, people who find themselves due to COVID in a selling situation now, or maybe you're changing careers and you just want some tips on how to be better prepared, to sell yourself in the future. Uh, So these are all people that I wrote the book for.
1: That's awesome.
0: So I kind of, I I mentioned at the top, you've got this really unique background in that you are, and we asked this actually, I asked this kind of before we started recording, I'd love to ask it again. With in 2020, with the Black Lives Matter movement, there was a big discussion around how do we refer to the Black or African American community in the United States. There's still a lot of, I think, confusion around Native Americans or indigenous peoples in most of the world. And I asked you how exactly did you want to be addressed? And I'd love for you, to, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners, exactly kind of what your preferred, how you prefer to be referred how you prefer your heritage to be referred to, because sometimes it's nice just to have kind of, you know, no stupid questions sort of stuff. We need things spelled <laughs> out simply for us. So
2: Yeah, this is not a stupid question at all. It's really it's something that's complex even for people, you know, of indigeneity um to to figure out how to refer to ourselves, Indigenous is something that is global. It works well, no matter where you're at. Um, amongst members of my tribe, we would tend to refer to each other as American Indian because that's what our our tribal, you know, documents were written up as, especially different treaties. So a lot of times you'll hear people refer to each other as is American Indians. Uh, Native Americans, you know, if you're in the Americas, you know, in the, in the United States, that's a popular uh, way to refer to yourself. However, native Hawaiians refer to themselves as native Hawaiians and native Alaskans as native Alaskans. Uh, and many in my family are also um, Métis, which is uh, which is a blend of French and indigenous. Uh, uh, everyone in the Little Shell tribe in Montana, in northern Montana, close to the So the Canadian border is Métis, but not every Métis is a Little Shell member, if that makes any sense. (laughs) So there's lots of different uh, areas of complexity here, Um, but I'd say, you know, you can't go wrong by indigenous. Right
1: on. Uh, With, you know, trying to uh, even just get the vernacular correct for uh, not just Native Americans, but African Americans as well. How do you feel you've been able to balance your authenticity as a Native American in the sales culture and be able to use it to thrive, to write a book and do all these great things in sales?
2: You know, it's really tough because people don't look at me. And, you know, one of the the challenges that I've had is they don't look at me and see that I've had my feet in two different cultures. Uh, they look at me and they say, Oh, you know, he's kind of white suburban. Um, but there is an interesting concept when you think about people with, you know, indigenous background, you know, if you look at just people in, um, you know, people we know, and I'll just take, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Jason Momoa, Keanu Reeves, Sam Bradford, you know, some popular people Mm -hmm. and Lori, uh, you know, who's the first person to die in combat, uh, in you know of native american descent so if you take historical claims you know everyone's in the boat you know everyone's kind of you know got a you know got a claim to historical roots but then you put in cultural um and elizabeth warren falls out uh reeves uh, stays in the boat laurie stays in the boat jason momoa gets you know it's out. And, and then the, the last one is, is having that uh, legal uh, representation. And, and what that means is that people uh, are tracked by the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, based on blood quantum. And blood quantum is something that no other ethnic group in the world has, hap- has you know tracking like this the way we do. And the blood quantum system was actually designed to eliminate blood quantum in indigenous people. It wasn't designed to be a source of pride it was designed to say hey let's water down the bloodline until there's none <laughs> um but i have uh bureau of indian affairs blood quantum uh, and so that's the last thing and out of all those people that i had mentioned uh only sam bradford exists of somebody who's got historical culture and a blood quantum that identifies him and i like Pointing this out to people because when people think of Sam Bradford, they just think great quarterback. They don't look at him as, you know, they kind of look at him probably the way people look at me. Uh, they don't see the fact that, you know, my name is Ozao Makwa, I need to go uh, and when I woke up in the morning, you know, my dad would say, Ozao Makwa, pay me to. Uh, he would say, yo, it's time to eat. <clears throat> so I'd learn these things. And then when I didn't hear them coming from my friends, I'd scratch my head and say, okay, that's weird. And when, you know, we'd put on our regalia and, and dance or we'd have smudging ceremonies, uh, you know, or my, my uncles or grandparents would do crazy things. Uh, I wouldn't think anything of it because that's what I grew up with. But I also had one foot in, you know, kind of suburbia. So I have this real interesting, uh, cultural, you know, um, bilateral experience um, to where when I go to Montana, you know, everyone wears a lot more flannel, cowboy hats <laughs> uh, and they talk a little differently. They will talk with a little slower and there's a certain certain way, you know, my relatives talk. So it's this interesting concept of, of how I grew up and, and bringing it into a, a sales culture. I, I've kept a lot of things to myself. So it, my, my authenticity, hasn't started to bloom and blossom. I'd probably say until the last 10 years where I felt more comfortable in revealing my true self um as you know my family has been more comfortable revealing their true selves and talking about their lives and sharing and teaching more uh to us. Um you know but it's been really interesting because for me the things that were helpful in sales had been there all along. And I recognize them as being unique to the culture, uh, and it's um, you know I'll just I'll just share one you know the, the concept of a sales process. That's that's been super helpful. So if you're wondering, okay, what's what's indigenous culture have to do with sales process? And it's everything in uh, a lot of indigenous cultures. Uh, we have a circular reference to time. And we don't feel that, you know, there's this linearity of, of a progression. So in a sales process, you have a start and a beginning, you know, you have a close date or when you close the sale and you have a start. But I've always felt that whenever I get to the end of the sale, you're actually creating something new as a result of that. And that's been super helpful to me in my career because I've built long lasting relationships with customers and one of my biggest sales that i've had in my career i was with a company called american airlines had a great sale with them most people would have just said hey we're done you know you know high five celebrate but i kept selling i kept looking for other sales while my customers you know or while my competitors were uh, you know asleep i kept selling and this concept has helped me over time because I see needs and opportunities in different ways of not ending with the sales end. that you keep developing those relationships and it's, it's perpetual. And that's been super helpful. So if anyone's listening and they're like, what can I learn from this? Never stop selling.
0: No, it's, it's a wheel. It's not, it's not a linear process. It's, it's yep. totally a wheel. It's like, okay, great. You got the money. Now you got to start working on the renewal. Now you got to start working on the upsell, the cross sell there's, yeah, you know, delivery. just the delivery. It's yeah, I could, and,
2: you want to earn the right for that next sale. Exactly. And the bigger sale and the repeat business, you know, once you've landed that customer, you know, what do they say? It's like, it's like add-on sales are much easier you know, yeah, you...
0: uh, it there was a study. I think it was um, it was I, I think it was Topo. I'm not exactly certain. Don't call me, but I think it was Topo did a study last year at the height of COVID, found that it costs 71 cents to get a dollar from an existing customer. It costs a buck 25 to get a dollar from a new client. Yeah, so literally going for those renewals and cross sells, they found was one of the differences between the companies that were doing okay, because they were able to go back to that well, they had those relationships versus the ones that were like, oh, I've got to go get these new markets and it just literally cost more money.
2: Yeah, it's so good. And in COVID, you know, reign reign supreme because you had to know your customers well because if you didn't, you'd never get to the real cause and root of what they were struggling with. Um, I had customers crying on the phone with me telling me, you know, hey, I don't know what we're going to do. And it's um, they don't do that unless you have a certain amount of familiarity and, and, and rapport built.
0: So how did how did you build that rapport? Because that is something I think <clears throat> everyone knows you do. Everyone knows you need empathy, but there's an authenticity and a, a genuineness that can be hard to do, especially if you're under the gun for your quota. So how how do you? build those like how do you build for that long term while still making sure you, you make you pay your bills every month
2: i love this because it's um it's something that i've seen in a lot of people who i've coached over this period of time yeah everyone who is afraid to to jump into the sales arena said you know the reason that they say they don't want to be in sales is, is number one the quota i don't want to be attached to a quota or and when you start talking to them, are like, well, what other metrics do you have to, to manage your performance in your job right now? Most people have a quota, they just don't acknowledge it. You know, they have metrics or something that they're being, you know, asked to attain. So the um, the paranoia though, in and this gets into like scarcity mentality. Uh, this is a hard thing to, to break out of from a Native American standpoint, growing up with nothing. I had the scarcity mentality and you always think that you're never going to have enough. There's never going to be enough. I'm always going to be fighting for this little crumb. And that's a form of, of focusing on that quota. One thing that I realized in my sales career is I always chased bigger and bigger quotas. I asked for jobs and responsibility to give me a bigger quota. And then I had a job where my quota actually gave it to me like, Hey, your quota this year is $320 million. And it's like, you know, you're talking about, you know, $3 million a day uh, to, to land that as your, I mean, I'm not talking about running a team. I'm talking about one, one person myself. That was my actual quota.
0: <laughs>
2: and you can stress about quota and, and, but you'll lose a lot of sleep. I mean, there was a couple nights that I woke up in cold sweats going, Oh my gosh, look at this number. But if you focus on the number, that's what will paralyze you. If you focus on your customer, if you focus on the problems that are out there and solving those big problems and solving them at scale, you focus on that, you'll be fine. And I run into this with all types of sales people that I coach, they'll, you want to, you want to do the mental math on the number, but once you get the number down and you have a logical you know path to, you know, and plan to go forward, then you focus on your customer, uh, and you'll be in much better shape.
1: That's awesome, man. The, uh, focus on the customer and not letting that quota keep you up at night. Uh, except I guess you woke up one night with cold sweats. Uh, (laughs) definitely, definitely resonates. I think when you shift kind of your mindset to thinking of that end result and more so on what you're able to deliver to people, Mm -hmm. uh, you really kind of can visualize and actualize your, your potential. (laughs) Yeah. There's, um,
2: I'm smiling because there's somebody I'm I'm picturing him in my head who I had a conversation with him and he would look at his numbers every single day and he's like, oh my gosh, the numbers aren't changing. You know, um, and I'm like, well, you're spending, you know, I've talked to you multiple times, but the time that you're spending looking at your numbers every single day, habitually, like two or three times a day, you could be spending with your customers. And if you're not spending that time with them, who else is? And he was like, yeah, you're right. And he wasn't, he wasn't a direct report to me. He was a peer, uh, but he finally got the hint and put it into a different mode and found that he was being a little bit paranoid about that. So it's, it's a healthy degree of, you know, it's, it's like, you know, watching your speedometer, um, you kind of get a feel for it. You want to make sure you're not speeding. Um, you know, but that's, you you don't want to look at your metrics every, you know, every instant, uh, unless it's customer metrics, you know? Customer dissatisfied. You know how are we engaging any new people, hitting our value, uh, and if so, what are they hitting, and, and how can I build, uh, you know, a talk tracker or something that's interesting to them, so I can I can capitalize on what what's important
1: to them right now. Yeah, definitely. And then I think it takes, uh, especially now that I'm actually like managing a team, there's a certain level of tenacity that's needed as well that you know, you can have all these plans in place, but if you're not tenacious with your approach and with executing that plan, uh, then you're really just kind of spinning the wheels. How have you, uh, kind of used your tenacity to, uh, get these deals and and motivate yourself to continue doing it even after you've hit a level of success?
2: Yeah. Tenacity is one of those things, you know, I'd say tenacity and resiliency because, you know, (laughs) Based on my background, nobody has ever given me any uh, advantage uh, ever. I didn't receive any you know, massive scholarships uh, because at the time, my tribe wasn't federally recognized. So instead, I went in the military <clears throat> and used the GI Bill to pay for my entire college education um, and worked jobs, gave blood, did all kinds of crazy stuff just to make it through college. But that tenacity sticks with you and being tenacious for for sales and customers i think is 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 part of part of how i grew up part of my work ethic of you know having to work a little harder there was never anyone in my family who told me to go to college i was the first person to go to college i had to read all the applications and figure it out myself there was no counselor saying go to college they didn't expect it from me they i was i was the person they wrote off and and still you know in my sales career i'm the person who no one sees coming which i love playing that role (laughs) i love it because when people are discounting you or disregarding you uh, and for people out there in your audience who might be in this position now use that as a badge of honor Mm -hmm. use that as your advantage to show them you know, that you can be so much more and if you're inquisitive and curious uh, and you care about, you know, other people and customers, you're going to go really far in sales because so many people are out there trying to be contrived and they're out there for, you know, the dollar. Uh, And if you really focus on what are you trying to do to help people, uh, you'll be good. And, and, And that tenacity, I think comes from just years of, of having people, you know, discount and disregard, and say, "Oh, you can't do this." Well, great. Tell me I can't do something. That's the best motivation for me. <laughs> you know, and I'll go after it. And I'll show you just how how much of a lion I am. And 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 you should have never discounted me. And I love that. That's there's nothing sweeter uh, to me when you are able to be successful, when no one's in your corner cheering for you, and uh, there's just a sweet uh, sense of satisfaction uh, of doing that. Um, and it's proof positive to others that you can rise above their expectation for you. Um, but you know, your own expectation for yourself is something that really, once you get past, you know, trying to be a people pleaser, you know, all you have to please is yourself. And it's just, you know, what do I want for my life? What do I want in my, you know, for my family, uh, and and that really, you know, starts becoming your
0: driver. It's so true. And it's, it's really, there's a lot there. Um, It's, it's really fascinating to me how you bring up kind of resiliency in that. Like, you want, like I I was anyone who, if you've you've ever, if you have ever found yourself in a position where someone tells you, you can't do something and you're like, watch this, (laughs) where the snort is probably a swear word. um, Sales will do well. You will probably do well in sales. Um, Definitely see that. And, it a lot of it's just because of that and i think too especially now as social media gets bigger bigger and bigger and social selling gets bigger and bigger i think we're personally i think we're going to see a correction in the next 12 to 24 months away from social media again especially for Hmm. influencers and sellers because you've got people who are tying their identity now to the content they're creating and generating instead of how they're helping their customers. And yes, you can help people with your content and stuff like that. I'm not discounting any of these things, but it's, it's interesting how much, how important it is to be continually for pulling that focus back to what really does matter, which is your quality of life, your family, you know, how you want to live. And that's one of the best things about sales is you can control more of that. And you're spot on with everyone has quotas, sales, you just get paid for them differently. And it right. is just that it's different. Is it better if you're in a good company? Yes. Is it worse if you're at a bad company? Yeah, it's worse. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting balance to try and find, but you, you hit on something there with, you know, you mentioned kind of nobody expected you to go to college, you, but you went into the military and I've had this thing for a while, I've been very fortunate in my career to hire several people, several veterans and work for several veterans. Um, And I'm always continually stumped why there aren't more veterans in sales because of, I think, when you look at the skills that the military teaches in terms of systems, in terms of organization, self-discipline, self-awareness, even a couple of years in the military with those sort of skills, I mean, that's basically everything you need for an entry-level sales role, period, yep. with no additional training required. Um, I mean, it, it, somebody mentioned this recently, and it kind of blew my mind. It's like, we, we trust 18-year-olds fresh out of high school with multimillion-dollar tanks. And you're telling me, Mr. Tech CEO, that you don't trust a 24-year-old to call a C, call another CEO on your behalf? there's this really bizarre disconnect and so i'm really curious as someone who served and now has this really success now has this successful career where you think that disconnect is if it's on both sides or if it's on one more than the other and how we can better support our veterans because we know there is a huge issue with this transition and making that transition from military to civilian life healthy
2: yeah i feel like you know i I've got the trifecta sometimes when it comes to, uh, you know, these these feelings of misunderstanding, uh, a lot of commercial businesses don't understand, you know, veterans either. You know, they definitely don't understand somebody who looks, looks white and is native American. And then when you throw in military, a lot of people don't understand people's military service and those skills that you get. Uh, when I was in the air force, we were flying over New York city and i was in a um in a refueling tanker at the time uh and i got to lay in the boom uh of this refueling tanker which you're essentially the the, the
0: plane geek in me is freaking out right now like that is one of the cooler things i've heard of someone actually doing sorry
2: yeah you're um (laughs) you know and and that wasn't my job i fixed you know air traffic control radar and navigational systems i was just a passenger but i got the the boom operator let me lay down in that thing and you're You're a moving gas tank and everyone who was on that plane was under the age of 22. Sheesh. (laughs) So the pilot, the co-pilot.
0: That's both inspiring and terrifying at the (laughs) same time.
2: You know, and we're flying over New York City and uh, and we refueled, you know, a whole team of of, you know, fighters. The fighters came up, they were F-16s, they came up underneath us, you know, and most of I got out of the 35. way and I, I stood there and I took videos of it and they were just like one by one and you're like, okay, exactly what you said. You know, these are 18 year olds, you come in, you know, and you know, for people who went to college, they got out of OCS and they went to pilot school and now they're flying a tanker loaded with fuel <clears throat> over New York City, one of the most populated areas doing this very complex thing that who's going to do that? You know, if you graduate high school, no one's going to give you that that level of responsibility, but the military does well, and let's, they do.
0: Let's talk about that. Why do they do that? Because I have theories on kind of how, why it works in the military and what corporate America does wrong when it comes to this sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, I think that um, the military starts everyone from the same place. They expect that nobody knows what they're doing. So I just learned this, you know, we went through uh, some training at Microsoft that was um, situational leadership training by Ken Blanchard uh, Institute. They Mm -hmm. they had some really good training and, and there's two dimensions here. There was um, uh, competence, you know, are you competent and are you confident? And the military assumes that nobody is confident and nobody's competent. And that's where they start everyone. They start everyone from that same level, no matter what your background is, they don't care. They don't care about your ethnicity. They don't care about your education. They don't care where you grew up or who you knew. They start you from square one and they teach you these things to make you confident and competent, both.
0: And And that's where the drill sergeant comes from, isn't it? It's okay, the drill sergeant's there. If you've got confidence, nah, 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 nah. Drop that back down. So then you force the level playing field and you don't have that false confidence.
2: And then they build teamwork together by everyone, because you end up hating the drill sergeant more than anyone, you know. And by the end of the time that you leave, you know, this is when you see all the drill sergeants who are have their arms around people and they're posing for pictures, and they're te- they're teaching you. You know, one of the things that I I learned early, and this is one thing that people learn, is is attention to detail. You're going and you're cutting little little strings off of your uniform. You're polishing your boots. You're Everything is looking perfect. It's attention to detail because they don't want you to drop a screw into a jet engine. Um, they don't want you to um, to sneeze when you're refueling, you know, this multi-million-dollar piece of equipment, and it explodes in midair. <laughs>
0: there, there, there's no good enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's no good enough. So it's if somebody makes an error, you die. And what corporate America gets wrong is we. We spend so much time on, oh, this person has this great pedigree. They must know this. Oh, they've been in sales before, so they've been in a, a sales superstar. So they're going to be a great sales leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, we know these things, and we all laugh about them because we know that that's not necessarily the case. But uh, when it comes to to veterans, you know, having gone down this path is repeatable. You know, once. Those can be repeated and and corporate training programs should be more aligned to helping people, you know, to develop this way. And even internally, you know, developing people with certain skill sets who have had different types of experiences. You know, I've always been an advocate for leveraging AI to mine your own talent pool. Don't rely on the good old boy or, you know, network to to give people promotions to the to the next level. Look and see what people have done. Hey, have they? had experience, you know, in um, uh, cultural, you know, cross-cultural issues. Well, guess what? Everyone in the military, at least in the last, you know, 20 years, has. They probably served a tour in Iraq or Afghanistan. They've had to learn the things that they can and cannot do in-country. And if they haven't served there, they probably have gone through some cultural sensitivity training, to help them deal with other people of different cultures in the military.
0: Well, isn't it uh, something like 80% of, of of service members do at least six months abroad? Whereas yeah. at the same time, you look at the number, I think it's less than a third of Americans have a passport or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. It's speaking as speaking as the American who moved to Europe.
2: Well, um, and, and we would be worldwide deployable in my job mm-hmm. anywhere in the world at a moment's notice. And so We got to, you know, we got to go everywhere (laughs) and I got to learn an immense amount about different cultures and that helps you in sales. That really helps you because when you meet people, you hear their names, you're like, oh, that sounds like a, you know, a French name, or that sounds like a German name or a Spanish name, or you just, you ask questions and good sellers ask questions about everything and, and build rapport with people no matter where they come from. So you're right. It's um it's a great place and I think corporate America could recognize the the impact of those experiences and then put it into some of the, you know, how they look for talent and 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 help inculcate that across their businesses. You want someone to lead a team in a high-stress situation? Man, huh. COVID, when COVID happened, Uh, we all had all of our veterans get together on calls and we were like, yeah, we're built for this. You know, what are you talking about? We can, you know, (laughs) this is, uh, we know what to do in a, in a stressful situation like this. And that's valuable because there was a lot of people who were turtling, you know, I'd say going Mm -hmm. back in their shell and they didn't know what to do. They were freaked out. They were
0: hitting the panic button and burning themselves down in the process.
2: Yep. And when I saw this thing coming, I saw it, you know, as early as December. Yeah. I started prepping. I started, you know, I don't, don't confuse me as a prepper, crazy, you know, but I, I started, I started buying things that I thought I'd need, you know, canned goods and tuna fish and stuff like that.
0: The, the same thing you do when you find out, when you think, hey, a storm may hit us in a week or two. Yeah.
2: A storm may hit us or something like that. Those are the things that now imagine in a business, mm-hmm. people in the military who can see, you know, inflationary pressures, you know, uh, demand issues, uh, supply chain constraints, and they're able to say, Hey, I see something coming. I think this might be valuable if we did this. Uh, veterans are very good at at, at kind of these reactionary things because we're taught, Hey, we're gonna spend all this time training and planning for battle, but we know that the battle plan never survives the first bullet. And we know how to adjust and change things at a moment's notice. Um, how to make a
0: plan and not get rattled when the plan gets shot to hell.
2: Exactly. And it's how often does that happen in business? Every day. Um, and especially r- in
0: sales. That's literally a sales process. <laughs> it's, it, no yep. no deal survives the first proposal.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, like everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's so true. It's so true. I, I had a profound moment of clarity when you put it as... Um, they are confident and competent. My dad is a Vietnam vet and I always wondered why he always treated me like I was a fool. And now it all makes sense. <laughs> He's treating me like I am have no confidence and not competent. So uh, I have and to thank you for that. <laughs>
2: and that's tremendously, you know, that's my own kind of wisdom, you know, AKA Ken Blanchard um, that I've rediscovered is that you may think people know something, but don't assume, you know, it's, uh, Sorry, I get,
0: know. I, no joke. I get paid. I hate to say this like this, but I get paid a lot of money to tell sales VPs that when it comes to SDR training, it's like the number <laughs> one piece of advice I give people is assume they know nothing. Well, but they should be hired for this. I'm like, trust me, assume they know nothing, start there. They will ramp faster. It's
2: Yep.
0: it's any, and even if you're hiring for roles with experience, Oh, well they should understand cybersecurity. Should.
2: Yep. And I've fallen into this as a leader myself. I've 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 made an assumption that somebody knew something. And when it was validated that they didn't, I couldn't be mad at them. You know, I had to look back at myself and say, you know, hey, this was my fault for not recognizing this sooner.
0: I didn't prepare you.
2: Yeah, they didn't know something that I assumed that they did but I never told them, we never talked about it, we never expected it. And I just had to look back at myself and say, hey, I'm falling on my sword for this one. And now it prepared me and made me a little bit more um, cautious to go and explore, hey, what do my people know? And no assumptions.
0: It's something I wanna ask there too, because we talked about this confidence and competence thing. And there is the stigma of the drill sergeant berating and using all sorts of psychological tactics to break people down, and you've got a workplace culture, and one of the taglines of the show is demantling bro culture. What we're talking about in terms of building confidence and take people from ground zero is not about bullying. This is not diminishing people. This is not insulting.
2: I think the natural tendency for people to look at drill sergeants or people in the military is they believe that everyone's going around shouting all the time you know, and that, that's something that's productive. But you'll notice that that typically happens in training, not all the time. And if it happens all the time, you burn people out. So there are leaders that I've worked underneath who have driven their organizations by fear. And it's a huge miss because guess what you create. You, you sap confidence from people when you drive by fear. You um, you take away from them becoming better and more. And, you know, it's people who just haven't been, um, you know, they don't know that the reason why the military does that <clears throat> is to build camaraderie and teamwork. And that they're so cohesive uh, that the things that they're yelling about are things that are life threatening you know they're uh they don't compromise on certain things but you can't go around being a bully and expect you to expect to have great results it it doesn't work it's not it's not a wise thing to do um you know and it's it's, why people still do that i I don't know i think i think i think the other thing that happens is people uh, i've seen people lead sales organizations by what they've seen on Boiler Room or The Wolf Mm. of Wall Street, or uh, they watch popular culture movies and they go, hey, I need to do this, you know, because this is what I saw sales is like, you know, this is my
1: mental model of what I've seen a successful sales organization be. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Uh, I was a bartender in college and one of the prerequisites from the owner was that you had to watch um, Roadhouse, but it's Patrick Swayze. Uh <clears throat> oh yeah, Matt Patrick Swayze. They kind yeah. of have a similar look, but yeah, Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse. You had to watch Roadhouse to get hired. I, on how, yeah. how to and run a I bar? Like, yeah, this is a college bar. I'm sure we're just <laughs> knocking people out left and right. And it was nothing like Roadhouse. <laughs> it was. I did I graduated like graduated. They, the they had a line in that I movie came. that I
2: loved. It was like, "Hey, when people um, are bad." be nice and take it outside <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be nice until we don't have to be nice anymore <laughs> good old like terrible 80s movies there <clears throat> i like that one though that one was kind of cool because it was uh, you know fun movies you know yeah. where are they They're,
1: now everything's so many movies that
2: try and make these statements instead of just you know entertaining with like straight out good stories of hey let's have a Protagonist and an antagonist, and um, you know, and then happily ever after. We figured it
1: out, <laughs> Ashley. It was Roadhouse, and it wasn't uh, was Yeah. It was, was, say a yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was how to
2: how to how to run the bar. Yeah. yeah okay, that, so that makes sense. That.
0: For, yeah, that that uh, that sounds like a very similar, like stereotypical, but not anything. See, this nowadays a, it'd be like go watch Coyote Ugly. Bar
1: too. <laughs> Yeah, this is a college bar, too. There's not a roadhouse. It wasn't like there was, right. like, you know, yeah. gang, uh, biker gangs and <laughs> drug cartels coming no, through there. No, just a bunch of drug so frat boys. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it was a good time, so Rock shock Jayhawk. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oops. all right
1: am i still frozen
0: give it nope. a minute
1: your connections yellow to red
0: minus <laughs> gonna say it's it's, i got a little message a minute ago but it was looking like it was okay all right let's do this uh ryan i'm gonna make you the host actually hang on i'm gonna make you the co-host that way i can keep recording i'm going to i'm going to stop recording i'm going to what i'll do is i'll leave and come back and see if that resets it go all right so there we go set oh wait now it's working again
1: all right
0: you're both moving so never mind i'm not going to do anything
1: okay
0: we'll just start again perfect so you were told to watch roadhouse (laughs) That's why why don't you start with that answer and then we can segue into a question i think we'll pretty quickly pivot to the lightning round and wrap this thing up
1: cool cool yeah when you talked about uh you know Wolf of Wall Street and all these movies being uh, serving as like a teaching moment for new sales reps it reminded me of when I was in college. I uh, bartended and uh, Roadhouse was a prerequisite to working at a college bar, mind you not not a uh, not a biker gang bar, not a college bar. So, uh, great movie. <laughs> we learned a lot about how to treat patrons from that movie. <laughs> I like Shout it. Out Be Patrick nice. Crazy. Be
2: nice. You know that's a universal.
1: You know golden rules works well oh, in yes. sales and it does. It followed me all the way to here, so it must have had a profound impact on my <laughs> trajectory. <laughs>
0: Uh, oh my goodness. Okay. We've covered a lot <laughs> today, Joe. And thank you so much for your insights and everything. We're going to end this the same way we end every one of our podcast episodes with the lightning round. So these are a series of rapid fire questions. Don't worry too much about them. Just designed to be a little bit fun. Ryan, why don't you start this off?
1: All right. I'll kick it off. Joe, what is your morning routine? Morning typically get up around
2: four uh, to 4:30 and drink water. I have, uh, usually do 32 ounces as soon as I get up and then I'll spend some time, uh, doing some meditation and affirmations, do a light workout, uh, and then eat my biggest meal of the day.
1: I love breakfast. Nice. I love breakfast as well.
0: All right. Pick one person who's had a significant impact on your career.
2: My uncle Bob, he's no longer with us, but he's, um, he was in the military. He helped me uh, kind of navigate the military, uh, pursue a degree, um, you know, and uh, and really, you know, filled me with some entrepreneurial spirit and, and a desire to to do more
1: in life. Shout him out! What's your uh, what's your pump up song? <laughs> in the air tonight by phil collins starts off slow
2: into a drum solo
1: (laughs) i hope my my dad never watches this episode because he used to terrorize my sister and i with phil collins and genesis in the morning like saturday (laughs) we you know kids we'd want to sleep in till 10 or 9 and he's up at like 7 a.m just jamming out to phil collins
2: like if you've never watched the music video do it because when he comes out there on stage and then jumps up another drum kit and goes Nothing (laughs) better. I love it. That's brilliant.
0: I love that. All right. What's one thing you wish you'd learned earlier?
2: I wish earlier that I learned um, to not be afraid, you know, to be more brave and bold. Um, Fear holds people back from realizing their dreams. And once you realize that, you know, hey, there's not a big reason to be fearful about anything, you know, because... One of my affirmations that I do every day is I can't fail. I can only learn, grow and get better. And if everyone has that outlook in life, you'll find out that you're going to have a lot more opportunity, a lot more fun.
1: I love that. What book has been most helpful to your sales career other than billion dollar sales?
2: (laughs) Yeah. My writing my book, boy, if anyone wants to try to learn more about something, write about it, because I really. I didn't write about my my life story. I wrote about everything that I thought I knew about sales and then I, you know, demystified it and and challenged myself. But um, one book that was really transformative to me is is Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki.
1: Mm. It
2: helped break me out of that, you know, poverty, you know, mindset. I recognized the characters in his Rich Dad Poor Dad all too well. And realized that there was people who I had in my life who filled the role of a rich dad. Uh, they were they were CEOs of companies that I had worked for, entrepreneurs. Never having uh, worked for them, I wouldn't have learned some of the things that I have.
0: That's so the second person who's mentioned that recently, and I need to go reread that book because it was given to me by some. I actually was given it. I had that book given to me at like fourteen or fifteen. <laughs> And very similar experience and I'm like I gotta go reread that
2: yeah <laughs> now that I'm actually
0: an adult and have some money I need to keep an eye on
2: That's crazy too because he's like we don't receive financial education in life It's true no. you know we don't we don't learn how to sell and we don't receive a financial education but yet we graduate high school and college with that um, yeah. it's crazy
0: All right what's one way someone could have been a better ally to you?
2: To me, being an ally is, you know, standing in the gap when you can't, you know, when you don't have the emotional energy to do so. And there are times every day, even even recently, when I've been searching for allies. You know, the, the Native American community is hurting really badly right now with COVID, but also with, you know, all these, you know, graves being unearthed. Um, from schools that were forced assimilation camps you know if you really think about it these schools weren't designed to just you know hey we're gonna give these you know these native americans free education it was designed to take you know indigenous uh, teachings and ways of life out of people so we'll put some links in the show
0: notes to what joe is referencing if you're not familiar with this please take a minute and look into it it's it's a really sad part of north american history and it's not that far in the past i i thought this was stuff that went out of the way in the 1800s and this continued until the mid nineteen yeah. i mean there, were, there was stuff still in the 1950s and 1960s this was still going on
2: yeah the last indian school closed
1: down in 1997 and then in our modern day you see with the foster system in canada uh yeah. not as you know um blatant as the the schools, but. It, continued cycle of, um, kind of yep. exploitation in a mm. sense of, of a native people
2: and then we have this thing you know that happens it's called the murdered and missing uh, indigenous women mm-hmm. where we've lost so many uh, of our women uh, just disappear or get sold into slavery. actually slavery is is more rampant today than it's ever been in history um, and a lot of people don't realize that so being a good ally, is standing in the gap when people are hurting and they're, you know, it's, it's standing up for people when they can't stand up for themselves. You saw this a lot with the George Floyd, you know, situation where people are just so broken internally that they can't do anything. And, it, and at that point, the best thing to do is just, is listen, uh, be curious, um, you know, uh, be there, be present, um, so allies, you know, being present and and then it's even better when an ally can come and, and, and stand in the gap. And what I mean by this is how many times do people go into a meeting or something and say, hey, let's have a powwow about this. And to me, that's kind of a funny, lighthearted one because I just laugh. I'm like, oh, you want to get together for dancing for three days and uh, lots of eating and lots of family and we'll put on our regalia? No, we're going to have a meeting for 30 minutes. Well, that's not a powwow. That's, you know, ridiculous. <laughs> But it's great when an ally will come up and say yeah let's let's just have a meeting and let's not uh, call that you know what it really isn't and to have allies do that I'm just like yes you know? <laughs>
0: can, can we steal that line absolutely great I mean I'm totally using the next time I, I and some and if anyone hears me use that call me on it but I, I'm trying to find you know replacements and, stuff and' fun ways to call it out I love using humor to call these things out because then it's like oh it's not haha you're how dare you? It's, oh, whoops. That was a, oh yeah, that is a really silly thing to say. We shouldn't do that anymore.
2: Yeah. And it, it kind of comes back to what we were saying. You know, it's, it's people don't have that, you know, competence. They, they, um, and I've heard people, you know, I have some friends and my, actually my sister's African-American some people say, oh, you know, it's, it's 2021. It's too, you know, we're too far to, for people to be ignorant. Well, you say that but i've been to a lot of places in the us and there are some some places where people just are ignorant and you know it's it's hard to forgive and hard to believe that that
1: exists but it's not you know it's not unexpected well i think you kind of point out that's the big thing that's helped me in my later years just kind of be at peace with the way the world is right now is that I can't blame somebody if they were raised in a home that kept them ignorant to these type of things. I mean, it's, uh, the only thing I can do is try and be an instrument of change and education and enlightenment rather than somebody that's like wagging my finger, scolding, Oh, I'm kicking you off Twitter or anything silly like that. Like that doesn't do anything, but just drive more division. Whereas uh, civil conversations and listening actually brings people together and you can hopefully get to a place of understanding. Amen.
0: Assuming both sides are willing. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you got to deliver an ass kicking.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sometimes people aren't acting in good faith. You know, I I think there's a a few amount of people too, that have understood that like, oh, if I feign ignorance, then and I'll get a second chance or I can be deceptive and feign ignorance to just like get out of a situation where I put my foot in my mouth or where I should have been held to more strict accountability. Um, At at this point
0: in situations like this, I'm tempted to go to the the wise words of the sage George Bush. Fool me (laughs) once, shame on you. Fool me twice. I don't get fooled again.
1: Yep. (laughs) Yep.
2: Yep. (laughs) <laughs> Everyone gets the
0: benefit of the doubt, so you get, you'll get the humor and then you'll get the boot in the ass.
1: Exactly. No doubt. All right. What's one way you're working to be a better ally yourself? So in
2: my company, we have these things called employee resource groups, where we get to uh, experience lots of different cultures and be curious about uh, about different groups. So I try and always be, um, especially even with my team is I have a plan that's very thoughtful for every month. So I create my plan six months in advance to what, what am I going to do to build curiosity? And you know, it's, it's this concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, what am I going to do to activate all of those? And that helps me more than anything because people say, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this and this sounds like good, but when you actually put pen to paper and say, I'm making a plan uh, for every month of the next year for me to be a little bit more curious about others and to, uh, because you know diversity is, is, is getting invited to the dance and inclusion is being asked to dance. You know, and equity is making sure everyone gets a chance to dance. <laughs> so you wanna make sure that you're kind of activating across all, all of those. So that's, that's one thing that I do.
1: That's awesome. I had to take some notes here. That was good stuff.
0: You saw me diving for a pen. I was like, eh, I'm writing (laughs) that down. That's a good idea. Coming soon to other side (laughs) of All right. Last but not least, what is your guilty pleasure at the end of a long day?
2: Boy, guilty pleasure for me at the end of a long day. I once, once I've, you know, put everything in and you're, you're like, man, I'm going to celebrate. This is what I'm going to do. Um, Twizzlers is a guilty pleasure. Um, I've, I've moved to sugar-free, it's just not the same. Uh, and there's nothing better, you know, having lived in Germany than uh, beer, but not the warm beer, cold beer. You know, love cold beer. Pacifico, that's my number one favorite. With a little lime, it's
1: great. It's great summer beer, refreshing. Now,
2: typically not the Twizzlers and the beer at the same time, but... Uh, <laughs> Mean, I find Twizzlers Twizzle is more of a guilty pleasure. Like when you're thinking through something and you're like, okay,
0: have you ever tried hell or high watermelon? No 21st amendment. Um, it's, I'm not a beer drinker, but every beer drinker I know who has actually tried hell or high watermelon loved it. Oh. It's, it's just a perfect summer. Like, um, they have a, they have a brewery right next to at t park in San Francisco and it was just that perfect kind of like ballpark summer day. But like, when I say ballpark beer, I don't mean the stuff that's typically served at the ballpark, but the stuff you actually would want to have while watching a baseball game when it's, you know, 80 degrees out with the breeze. Like, it's just, I don't even like, I really don't like beer, but everyone Mm. I love says they love that and I love the name,
2: so. Well, and the other thing I like doing at the end of the day is, um, you know, when when they're around like they are in the summer is spending time with my girls, if they're around, you know, it's, uh, I have two daughters and it's great to uh, to spend time with them and and watch them see what they're doing and learning about them.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. If you're ever in Indiana, there's a local brewery called Sun King and it makes a Mexican lager called pachanga. It's also oh, a good, good beer.
2: There are so many good things. I had one in Colorado one time it was a pine beer. I'm like, oh, this sounds weird. It, but it tasted cool it was it was kind of spicy and cinnamon it was weird but uh chango yeah Pechango. makes, makes me want to come up the indiana <laughs> come visit man i'll show you around awesome well thank you so much um both of you ashley and ryan this was uh, and, and your audience I, i've really had a good time connecting with you and um i know this is just the start
0: Agreed. Likewise. So, what's the so? as we wrap this up, Joe, what's the best way for people to find you and where can they find to get their copy of Billion Dollar Sales?
2: Well, you know, first I'm going to give you an introduction on how to spell Peronto. No, just kidding. You know, it's uh, <laughs> find me at thejpar.com. It's T H E J P A R. On most social media platforms, you'll just type in the jpar. It's my website as well, www.jpar.com. And the book, you know, love people to read the book. I've uh, checked out some of my sales over the weekend and found out, you know, I've got a following in Brazil and Russia. And uh, it's always interesting to see countries that you've never sold in before. And so you can buy this all over the world online, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Target, Walmart. uh, So go check it out. Um, More importantly is, you know, apply it and let me know. Uh, Let me know what's working for you, what's not, and what you're doing because the book is written in a way that's not... Prescriptive. It's not do this and you'll be successful. It's here's how you find your own success. So, with that, hopefully that intrigues you to go check it out.
0: Definitely. And we'll make sure to put some links, at least to maybe US and Europe, in the show notes. Um, Joe, Joe, thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic and just so much fun. Um if you enjoy this episode, please do share it with your friends. Um use, you know, make sure to tag us on social media at the JPAR as well as OSOS underscore pod on Twitter, other side sales on Instagram or other side of sales on LinkedIn. Um, also please do if you enjoy this, take a moment and leave a review on your podcast catcher of choice or on YouTube. It really helps with uh, increase the visibility so we get more people listening to these incredible stories and introducing more people to wonderful, amazing sales pros like Joe. Thank you so much again, Joe. Thank you for listening in and we'll talk to you guys next week.